Miss Pickerel Goes to the Arctic Chapter 7 Refueling on the Tundra As soon as they landed, Foster and Mr. Busby began preparations for taking the landing wheels off and putting on floats instead. At first, Miss Pickerel didn't see how they could possibly do it. There was nothing to support the plane while they made ex the exchange. There were no trees, nothing from which the plane could be suspended while they worked, and the plane was certainly much too heavy to be lifted, even if all three of them lifted at once. But then Miss Pickerel found out what she hadn't known before. The plane had built-in jacks. Foster had remained inside when she and Mr. Busby got out, and now she saw him lean down and turn on something below his seat. There was a humming roar, and three sturdy supports, with small wheels at their ends, were pushed down from the bottom of the plane. They reached the ground and continued pushing until the plane was raised high enough for the landing wheels to be free of the ground. Mr. Busby piled rocks around the support so the plane wouldn't move. Foster came to the door of the plane, and Miss Pickerel saw him handing out the floats to Mr. Busby. They were like small boats, except that they were entirely enclosed and were very light. It seemed to be quite easy for Foster and Mr. Busby to lift them. They must have been packed somewhere in the dark, enclosed end of the cabin. Miss Pickerel hadn't noticed them before. Ouch! Miss Pickerel said. She slapped her leg where a mosquito had bitten her. Good thing we have this stiff breeze, Foster said, jumping down on the ground, or the mosquitoes would really be bad. What can I do to help? Miss Pickerel asked. Nothing till we've done the refueling, Mr. Busby said. But when we get the wheels off, you might help prepare for the caching. We're not taking the wheels with us, Miss Pickerel asked. Foster said, we can't use landing wheels on either ice or water or deep snow, and it's a good rule in the Arctic never to take anything with you that you can do without. On the other hand, though, you have to be sure that you do have everything that's necessary. For a few moments, Miss Pickerel watched Foster and Mr. Busby refueling the plane. The barrels of gasoline had been cached in a hollow depression in the rock with other rocks piled around them so that they wouldn't tip over and blow away. The refueling was tedious work. First, the barrels of gasoline had to be tipped on their sides. Then the gasoline was poured into cans, which were light enough to be lifted up to the openings of the gas tanks. Miss Pickerel walked away and looked about her. It was certainly true that Foster had said about the ground being damp. After a few squashy steps, Miss Pickerel came back to the rock. Long purple shadows lay across the yellow-greenish of the tundra. The air was filled with the cries of a thousand birds, which Miss Pickerel could see running or flying about her in all directions. And everywhere she looked were beautiful gray-colored flowers blooming. Miss Pickerel closed her eyes and drew in a deep breath of crisp, clear air. But suddenly she shivered. The wind had become stronger and more bitter. Her feet were cold and damp, and when she opened her eyes, again the whole tundra was one vast purple shadow. Far in the distance she saw an ugly wall of dark gray cloud, where but a moment ago had shone the beautiful red-gold globe of the sun. Hugging her elbows to her side, Miss Pickerel hurried back to the plane. Here, Foster said as he met Miss Pickerel, at the door, of the plane. Put this parka on. 
It's one I've had for a long time. And then he said, then he saw Miss Pickerel's wet feet. You shouldn't have done that, Miss Pickerel, he said. You'll have to change your shoes right away. In the Arctic, you should never get any part of your body wet if you can possibly help it. You should never over-exercise and perspire, and you should always keep your feet dry. If the skin of your body is wet, it makes it a lot harder to get warm again. Miss Pickerel took off her hat and put on the parka. The hood was lined with fur. It tickles, she said. It's wolverine fur, Foster said, and he handed her a pair of waterproof skin boots to put on in place of her wet shoes and a pair of gloves. When it's very cold, the moisture in your breath turns to ice in minutes when you breathe out. If your parka hood is lined with any other kind of fur, your breath freezes on the lining and makes your face cold. Wolverine fur is the only kind of fur that your frozen breath doesn't stick to. All right, Miss Pickerel, Mr. Busby called. We're about ready for you. He had taken one of the landing wheels off and was rolling it on one side of the plane, where two large pieces of heavy paper were spread out with rocks on their corners to hold them down. He put the wheel in the middle of one of them. He said, This is a special kind of paper that gives off a chemical vapor that prevents anything wrapped up in it from rusting. We use it all the time in our factories when we are preparing metal trailer parts for shipping. What you can do, Miss Pickerel, is to see that each wheel is tightly wrapped and that all the seams are sealed with this special tape. He handed her a roll of tape. With your help, we'll be able to get off much sooner. Yes, of course, Miss Pickerel said. The wind tore at her parka, and it was hard to work with a stiff paper. Even with the gloves on, her fingers grew clumsy and cold, and several times she had to lift the edges of the heavy wheel in order to adjust the paper. But she did not falter. If the weather plane was still missing, if no one had located it yet, every minute might be important. She was glad that she could help. Mr. Busby and Foster brought her the second wheel, and while she was wrapping it, they took the first one and cast it in a depression in the rock. They covered it with a heavy tarpaulin, which they weighted down all around with large stones. They did the same with the second wheel when it was ready for them. Then they all got back into the plane, and Miss Pickerel was giving more warm garments to wear. When she had changed, Miss Pickerel did not immediately take her seat. She went forward and stood behind Foster so that she could watch as they took off. Mr. Busby had taken the rocks away that were around the bottom of the jacks. Slowly the plane moved forward along the slope of the rocks towards the lake. The little wheels on the built-in jacks seemed to relay every unevenness on the ground below as they advanced over the edge of the lake and into the water, whose surface was roughed by the wind. In a few moments... The whole weight of the plane was supported on the floats, and Miss Pickerel noticed a very different type of motion, a gentle rocking like that of a boat. Foster opened the door of the plane and stepped lightly down onto one of the floats, where he lifted a flap on the top of it and looked in. It's all right, he said as he climbed back into the plane. I just wanted to make sure I hadn't forgotten the paddles. 
I always carry paddles inside one of the floats. If something happened so that I had to come back on a lake and couldn't start my engine again, it might be necessary to paddle in order to get to shore. He took his place again at the controls and asked Miss Pickerel to go back and fasten her seat. I'm pulling up the jacks now, he said, and Miss Pickerel heard the rumble under her feet. The plane built up speed as it skidded across the lake with the water below them hissing against the floats. Then they were in the air climbing. Foster banked the plane and they headed north once more and reached in search of the missing expedition. Chapter 8 Will the Weather Deteriorate? For the first time, Miss Pickerel recalled the gloomy warning of the man in the weather station at Squaretoe City, that the weather in the Arctic region might be going to deteriorate in the next few days. There was certainly no sign of it that she could see. Mr. Busby unwrapped another package of sandwiches and offered one to Miss Pickerel. "'Too bad Model X-24 isn't open,' he said. "'Or we could cook a regular meal.' Miss Pickerel looked through the dimness to the snowmobile. It was hard to tell exactly what it looked like. Still eating her sandwich, she got up to look at it. She was surprised to see how large the body of it was, almost as large as a house trailer. Mr. Busby came and stood beside her, and they both held on to the straps that held the vehicle to the pallet in order to brace themselves against the jouncing of the plane. A beauty, isn't she? Mr. Busby said proudly. Your cow will be delighted to have it, I'm sure. If we don't have to drop it to the missing men here, take the flashlight. If you stand on your tiptoes and shine it through the window, I think you can see in. Miss Pickerel did so. Why, she said over her shoulder, I had no idea it was so luxurious. I'd better check with Foster, Mr. Busby said, about... That air base we're going to refuel again. I'll ask him for our ETA, too. Miss Pickerel turned around. ETA? she asked. What is that? It's an abbreviation we pilots use, Mr. Busby said. ETA stands for Estimated Time of Arrival. Miss Pickerel ate the rest of her sandwich and then stood on tiptoe again and held the flashlight to the window. She was still looking in when Mr. Busby came back. I see the radio set is there, she said. She gave Mr. Busby the flashlight and went back to her seat. What did Foster say, she asked. What is our ETA? Mr. Busby did not immediately sit down. He stood in front of Miss Pickerel and looked at her as if he were trying to make up his mind whether or not to tell her something. Then he spoke. Foster can't tell our ETA, he said, because... Is it very far yet? Miss Pickerel asked. You and Foster must be terribly tired. I'm glad you're a woman of spirit, Miss Pickerel, Mr. Busby said. What I have to tell you may come as a shock. We may not be able to reach that Arctic air base after all. You mean we don't have enough fuel to get there? It isn't that, Mr. Busby said, but Foster has had a good deal of experience as a bush pilot. He's very familiar with Arctic flying conditions, and he says he doesn't like the looks of the weather in that direction. In fact, Foster says the weather in that direction is deteriorating rapidly. Chapter 9. Trapped by an Arctic Storm 
"'Suppose you come forward with me, Miss Pickerel,' Mr. Busby said, "'and we'll all three talk it over.' But even before Miss Pickerel had quite got out of her seat, the plane gave a wicked lurch and threw her to her knees. Mr. Busby was flung against the side of the plane. "'Strive yourself to your seat, Miss Pickerel,' Mr. Busby called out. He started to fight his way forward, but Foster was calling something to him, and he returned and strapped himself into his own seat. He sat there with his head turned, watching Foster intently. In between the shattering jolts of the plane, Miss Pickerel was able to focus her eyes, and she saw that Mr. Busby had his firm jaw clamped tightly shut. The muscles of his neck were stretched taut. He must be very worried. Miss Pickerel didn't think... He was showing very much confidence in Foster. After all, Foster was an experienced Arctic pilot, and anybody could tell just by the masterful way he was fighting the controls that he had the strength and the ability to handle the plane. For what seemed like a long, long time, later Miss Pickerel found out it was several hours. The plane struggled through the wild, tossing winds of the storm. With each lurch, each drop, the plane creaked and groaned, and the wind constantly roared, frequently silencing the heavy noise of the engines. Miss Pickerel was sore and bruised, her back ached, and the seat belt cut into her each time the plane flung her sideways. But at last the storm eased. The creaking and the groaning lessened, and the roar of the engines penetrated the dying moans of the wind. Mr. Busby quickly unstrapped himself and hurried forward. Miss Pickerel watched and saw him change places with Foster. Foster, limp and exhausted from his long ordeal, slumped to the floor of the plane and sat there, behind Mr. Busby, with his back braced against the wall. Miss Pickerel unfastened her strap, found a thermos bottle, and poured out some hot soup and carried it forward to Foster. Foster took the soup, and as he raised his head and smiled wearily, Miss Pickerel turned and looked over the top of Mr. Busby's head and out through the window. How can it be dark? Miss Pickerel asked. It looks just like night out there. But we're supposed to be in the Arctic where the summer sun shines 24 hours a day. Where in the world are we anyway? Now don't worry, Miss Pickerel, Mr. Busby said over his shoulder. Everything's going to be all right. Sure, Foster said. He drank some more soup. It's just that the storm clouds are cutting off the sun. It makes it look dark. Then I suppose we're flying on instruments, Miss Pickerel said. The storm knocked out some of them, Foster said gloomily. Now, Foster, Mr. Busby said, there's no use alarming Miss Pickerel. Everything's going to be all right, isn't it? Sure, Foster said again, but he looked down in his soup as he said it. See here, Miss Pickerel said. If there's something wrong, I wish you'd tell me. It's always better to know the truth, even if it's bad. That way you know just what to expect, and you can prepare yourself for it. When people don't tell you the truth, you get to imagining things, and sometimes what you imagine is worse than the facts. Miss Pickerel, Mr. Busby said, allow me once more to pay tribute to your spirit. The truth is... Let me tell her, Mr. Busby, Foster said. It's my responsibility. I should have realized sooner that the weather was going to be deteriorating this quickly. It's this way, Miss Pickerel. If the clouds would just part, if we could just get a glimpse of what is under us, 
Then I'd have some idea of, well... I wish you'd come right to the point and tell me, Miss Pickerel said. I'd rather know the truth, more matter of how bad it is. Are we lost? Foster looked up. Of course, we're still in the Arctic, he said. But it's impossible to know just how far we've driven off by the storm, or in what direction, and unless the storm clouds open up so that we can get a straight sight of the ground... We have no way of telling whether we are over land or whether we are over an open water or whether we're over ice. A shiver of fear ran through Miss Pickerel. She remembered the paper-thin floats which the plane was now equipped. Foster continued, Unless we can land on water, there isn't much chance of... Foster, Mr. Busby shouted, and Foster leapt to his feet. Mr. Busby said something else. But with his back to her, and with the noise of the plane, Miss Pickerel couldn't hear what his words were. She saw him stab his finger at one of the instrument needles on the panel before him, holding up his hand with his thumb and middle finger forming a zero. She saw Foster suck in his breath. Miss Pickerel, Foster shouted, we're running out of gasoline. There's only one thing to do now. No matter what's under us, we have to try it. Go to your seat and strap yourself in tightly. I'm going to have to try to make a crash landing. Chapter 10. A Crash Landing After it was all over, after the sickening, crunching, crashing jolt of their landing that threw them forward almost on the plane's nose, before they dropped back with a heavy thud, Miss Pickerel sat for an instant, utterly unable to move. But it was only the shock. In a moment she was clawing at her seatbelt, and the silence which had followed the landing was broken by hoarse male shouts. Hurry! Get out of here quick! No time to lose! Suddenly Foster and Mr. Busby were beside her, frantically trying to lift her up. Let go of me, Miss Pickerel said, shaking her arms free. I can get out by myself. Well, hurry up then, Mr. Busby said. He pushed open the shuttered door and jumped out. Miss Pickerel followed, with Foster close behind her. Over here, Foster called, wading through loose snow to a point some distance from the plane. Miss Pickerel and Mr. Busby joined him. What was all the rush? Miss Pickerel asked. We'd have been a good deal more comfortable inside, I should think. I'm cold. Then put up the hood of your parka, Miss Pickerel, said Foster. And Mr. Busby said, the rush was on account of fire. There's always danger of fire in a crash landing of this kind. We have to get away to safety just in case. Oh, said Miss Pickerel, I'm sorry I spoke that way. For a few moments they stood in silence looking at the wrecked plane. Miss Pickerel could hear heavy breathing, and it was a while before she realized that it was her own breath. The parka around her had seemed to make her breathing sound loud. When she looked at Foster and Mr. Busby, they too were panting, either from the exertion or fleeing from the plane, or perhaps as a reaction from the shock of the crash landing. Foster and Mr. Busby looked at each other, and Mr. Busby said, Well, open the snowmobile, and we'll start the heater in it. The heater runs on batteries. Wait, Foster said. You and Miss Pickerel stay here while I make an inspection. 
Miss Pickerel looked about her. Suddenly she realized something, and now that she had noticed it, it seemed funny that it hadn't occurred to her before. Why, she said, we came down on land. We didn't land on open water at all. Mr. Busby drew her attention to the shattered floats beneath the plane and pointed to the two tracks they had made deep in the snow. The tracks began at the edge of a small area of windswept ice. He whistled with surprise and admiration. Here's what must have happened, he said. I ought to tell you, Miss Pickerel, that few pilots could have made such a brilliant landing. Obviously, when we got down through the clouds, Foster spotted this one tiny bare patch of ice. He knew that our one chance was to land here, and somehow he was skillful enough to do just that. Although the ice tore our floats to pieces, it was the only thing that could have saved us. I think I understand, Miss Pickerel said. If we had landed in the snow, the snow would have stopped us suddenly and turned us upside down. We'd have been lucky to get out alive, said Mr. Busby. But when Foster landed us on the ice, most of our speed was absorbed by the time we slithered into the snow. Miss Pickerel scraped away the loose snow with the toe of her skin boot. Since the first side of the skin was on the inside of the boot, it didn't make her feet cold to do this. She scraped away the snow in several other places, and in each case she found ice. She wondered if they might have landed on a glacier. Foster came to the door of the plane, and Miss Pickerel and Mr. Busby joined him. Foster leaned down and ruefully examined the wrecked floats. From the expression on his face, it was easy to see his disappointment. I thought there was just a chance that the thing inside the float would still be intact, he said, reaching into the wreckage. But Miss Pickerel, remembering how Foster had checked to see if he had paddles inside the float. But what good would paddles do us now? Foster straightened up. He held in his hand a twisted mass of leather thongs and shattered wood. I had these in the other float, he said, snowshoes. They would have come in pretty handy in case we weren't rescued, in case I have to go somewhere for help. Well, for mercy's sakes, Miss Pickerel said, why would you go anywhere on snowshoes when we have a fully equipped snowmobile and the latest model at that? The only reason we brought it was so it could be used for rescue work if we needed it. I guess you've forgotten something, Miss Pickerel, said Foster. Yes, said Mr. Busby. The reason we had to land was that we're out of gasoline. But isn't there any for the snowmobile? Miss Pickerel asked. Mr. Busby shook his head, and Foster looked away. For a moment they were all silent, and each of them knew that the other was thinking the same thing. Now there were two planes down in the Arctic. The work of the rescuers had been made twice as hard. Come on, Foster, Mr. Busby said. Let's uncrate the snowmobile so we can get out the radio and send out a distress signal. As soon as the straps had been unfastened on one side of the snowmobile, they all went inside it. 
Miss Pickerel found it to be just like a very well-planned home. Everything was compact and convenient. Mr. Busby had started the heater, and the whole enclosure began to glow with welcoming warmth. He and Foster went to the radio, and Miss Pickerel set about fixing a hot meal for them all, which they ate sitting around a small table in the corner. The radio's automatic SOS signal is on, said Mr. Busby. Any pilot who flies near us is bound to hear it. Foster said nothing. He kept right on chewing, rather slowly, and looking down at the floor. Mr. Busby leaned back comfortably on his stool and wiped his mouth with a bright red paper napkin. You certainly took a delicious—you certainly cook a delicious meal, Miss Pickerel, he said. And now, if you'll excuse me, I'll go back to the radio set and listen. As soon as a pilot picks up our signal, I'll talk to him. Maybe he can tell us about the fate of the other plane, too. Foster stopped chewing in entirely and looked up. I'd better tell you both, he said, that I'm afraid nobody is going to pick up our signal. You see, unless we were spotted, nobody knows we're missing. I didn't file a flight plan. You didn't, Mr. Busby said. Ah, tisk, tisk. I know, said Foster. I know a pilot should always file a flight plan and then close it when he arrives where he's going to go. But I didn't do it this time on purpose. When someone flies a flight plane and then doesn't close it for any reason at all, rescue planes have to go out and search for him because he might be in trouble. I was afraid that if we got delayed for some reason, they might think we were in trouble. That would mean that half of the search planes, which are looking for the other expedition, would have to come and look for us. I know it was very unwise of me. Miss Pickerel agreed privately. At the same time, she admired the generous reason that had kept Foster from filing a plane. And no one knows? I have no way of knowing just where we are. It might be that the storm drove us to an entirely different part of the Arctic, said Foster. Mr. Busby said, I'll draw up a schedule for monitoring the radio set. One of us will have to be there at all times to answer in case a plane or a small air base or a radio station does pick up our signal for help. I'm afraid we'll have to call on you to take your turn, Miss Pickerel. Well, I should hope so, Miss Pickerel said. She tried to speak brightly, but she knew perfectly well that she knew Foster and Mr. Busby knew, too, that they were in very serious situation. Mr. Busby snapped into action. Now then, he said, let's not waste any time. Foster stood up quickly. I'll go out and tramp a big SOS in the snow, he said. Also, I have some bright-colored fluorescent strips of cloth to use for markers to draw attention to the plane, in case anybody does come near us. I'll come and help you, said Miss Pickerel. Chapter 11 The Lost Expedition Miss Pickerel thought it very interesting the way they put out the bright-colored cloth markers. There were two of them shaped in form to form an arrow. Foster laid them both out on the ice. Then he moved them around until the points of both arrows were pointing towards the plane. He gave Miss Pickerel a sharp knife 
and showed her how to help him anchor the markers. He showed her how to use the knife to cut two holes in the ice about six inches apart and slanting it toward each other so that they met at the bottom. This formed a solid arch of ice. The markers had cords on the corners, and it was the simple matter to tie the cords to the arches of ice. Now, said Foster, we'll go and tramp down a big SOS in the snow. By the time they had finished this, Miss Pickerel was so tired she ached all over. They took off their snowy outer garments in the body of the plane. For Foster, too, had put on a parker and skin boots and gloves, and soon as they entered the warm snowmobile, Miss Pickerel insisted that both men go to their berths and get some sleep, for she knew they were both very tired, and they would be a good deal more tired when, than she was. She would monitor the radio set if they would show her how. She already knew a little bit about what to do because of having watched Dwight and Rosemary so many times. Put on the earphones, Foster said, and flick this key by the mouthpiece. Keep listening all the time. If you hear anybody, wake us up immediately. Miss Pickerel was glad to find that the cord on the headphones were long enough to allow her to clear the table, wash the dishes, and still listen at the same time. It would have been very monotonous if she just had to sit there, Foster had chopped out a large block of ice, and it had melted in the large kettle on the stove, so she had plenty of water for dishwashing. After she finished the dishes, she unrolled the sleeping bag that Rosemary had packed for her. One of the men had brought it inside the snowmobile and put it in one corner. Rosemary had done a wonderful job of packing. She had put in everything that Miss Pickerel might possibly need, including a pair of dark glasses, even Rosemary's own camera in case Miss Pickerel wanted to take a picture. Miss Pickerel put the things in the bunk that had been left for her and was very quiet about it so that she would not disturb the sleeping men. Then she sat down in front of the set. She was determined to keep her vigil here just as long as she possibly could without going to sleep. Of course, if she began to get too sleepy, she would have to wake someone up to take her place. It would be safer other it wouldn't be safe otherwise. She might go to sleep and not hear someone talking on the radio. In spite of all she could do, her head began to nod. Suddenly there was a voice in her earphones. She jumped up. Mr. Busby, she shouted. Foster, wake up. The voice was quite distinct. It was exactly as though someone were speaking on the telephone. There was a thud of stocking feet on the floor, and just before Foster snatched off her earphones, Miss Pickerel heard the voice say, Rescue plane to lost weather expedition. Rescue plane to lost weather expedition. Do you read? Over. Almost shaking with eagerness, Foster sat down and pressed the key beside the, mouse, the mouthpiece. Calling rescue plane, he said. Calling rescue plane over. Then he listened. Miss Pickerel and Mr. Busby stood right behind him, hardly breathing. Again Foster spoke into the mouthpiece and listened, and again, and again, it was no use. They don't hear us, he said, sadly, pushing back one of the earphones, so that he could listen to the radio and talk to Miss Pickerel and Mr. Busby at the same time. What do you make of it, Mr. Busby? 
Probably our transmitter doesn't have enough power to reach them, Mr. Busby said. What are they saying? They just keep repeating rescue plane to lost weather expedition. I can't tell from that whether the expedition has been found or not. Maybe the expedition has been found, and they were trying to contact them with further message. Wait! He claps the other earphone right against his ear and sat hunched over, intently listening. Miss Pickerel was so excited, she could hardly stand waiting to find out what was being said. Foster reached for a pencil, began making rapid notes on a piece of paper in front of him. Looking over his shoulder, Miss Pickerel saw the notes were figures of latitude and longitude. Finally, Foster straightened up. He tried once more to make himself heard over the radio, but there was no response. He turned around. That was the weather expedition, he said. And this is their location. He put his pencil on the figures. How are they? Miss Pickerel asked. Are they all right? The pilot was very badly injured, said Foster, and needs medical attention. The plane crashed in an area of jagged crevices, and the rescue plane can't make a landing there. The man is too badly hurt to be carried out by stretcher. The rescue plane was a very powerful radio set and is going to radio for a doctor and a helicopter, but the nearest airbase is far away, and it will be a long time before help can reach them. The rescue plane is going to stand by as long as its fuel lasts. Oh, that poor man, Miss Pickerel said, and she knew Foster and Mr. Busby had the same thought. Let me take the earphones, Foster, Mr. Busby said. I'll keep trying to contact the plane after 30 second intervals. If the other plane isn't wrecked, is anywhere near, there's a chance that the rescue plane might hear us. Foster got up and changed places with Mr. Busby. He picked up the sheet of paper with the figures of the other plane's location. If I could only figure out our position, I could tell how far away we are from them. He stood thinking for a moment, and then he said, I'm going into the cockpit of the plane and make some calculations. I might just possibly be able to tell. He had been gone only a few minutes when he scurried back inside the snowmobile. I did it, he said. I've calculated our position. Look, Mr. Busby. Mr. Busby uncovered one ear as Foster spoke. Foster put the two sets of figures down beside each other. See, Mr. Busby, our longitude is the same as theirs, and there's just a few little differences in our latitude. We're just a little bit north of them. Foster turned around. I suppose you know, Miss Prickerel, that latitude and longitude give the location of places on the surface of the earth. The figures for longitude show how far east or west anything is, and the figures for latitude tell how far north or south, according to these two sets of figures, were directly north of the other expedition, and not very far away at that. We could rescue the injured man, Mr. Busby said, if we only had fuel for the snowmobile. We could drive it. Get him and bring him out for some to some place where the rescue plane could land. But what about the crevices, Miss Pickerel asked. Mr. Busby said, the big tread around the two back wheels on each side is long enough so that the vehicle can cross over a narrow crevice without falling in. Foster did the expedition say anything about whether they were out of gas? 
It was the storm that made them crash, Foster said. Not lack of fuel. Suddenly Miss Pickerel saw what Mr. Busby was getting at. If you'll tell me which way to go, Foster, he said, I'll go that direction and bring back some gasoline. Foster responded quickly. I'll go with you, he said. I'm more familiar with the Arctic, and perhaps I can help the survivors in some way. You don't mind, do you, Miss Pickerel? Well, of course not, Miss Pickerel said. Here, give me the earphones, Mr. Busby. The two men dressed themselves warmly. They not only wore parkas, but each of them also put on a pair of loose-fitting skin pants with the fur inside. Mr. Busby didn't have any dark glasses, so Miss Pickerel let him have the pair that Rosemary had put in her pack. She found that by stretching the cord of the earphones as far as it could go, she could step outside of the snowmobile and watched through the battered door of the plane as Mr. Busby and Foster grew smaller and smaller in the distance. She noticed that they went in single file through the snow so that they would not waste their energy in breaking two separate trails. She went back inside the snowmobile and shut the door. She began to set the table so that when the men returned, she wouldn't need to lose any time in getting them something to eat. And then suddenly she was sleepy again. So sleepy she could hardly stand it. It must have been the excitement that had kept her awake until now. If she only had something absorbing to occupy her mind that might keep her awake. She wished now that Rosemary had included some of the famous rocks that Miss Pickerel had brought back with her from their trip to Mars. She could spend the time studying the rocks and reclassifying them. But she didn't have the rocks, and her head began to nod. Then she snapped wide awake. A voice was speaking in her earphones.